0: We've been talking about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. And as we've been through this study, we have uh, just a couple more weeks where we're going to talk about this. We talked about the power aid. God has put within you something better than any battery pack, any uh, bionic body that you could imagine. It's the Holy Spirit who is in you, who wants to well up inside you to do the things that you cannot do. To give you direction, to give you peace, to give you comfort, to, to give you so much. God has said, I want to dwell with you. What does that mean? We've been looking at that for five weeks. And today we're talking about spiritual DNA. And I, and I was trying to think about how to go about this. Because we, I think a lot of times we look at this whole topic of DNA and we don't get it. So let me go about it this way. How many of you have seen the movie The Blind Side? Sandra Bullock, yeah, a lot of you have seen that. It's a true story of uh, Michael Ower. And, and Michael Ower was given a new home, a new room. You, you remember the scene in the movie where she's making up this bed and she says, Michael, this is going to be yours. This is going to be your room. This is going to be your bed. And he says, I've never had one of those before. And she said, your own room. And he said, no, a bed. Oh, it just stabbed my heart they adopted Michael Ower this this kid that they found wandering this kid that was a part of the school where their child was going and and this family just could not stand to see this young man who had so much talent so much ability just get swept by the side and so they put him as a part of the family now just imagine with me instead of the way it ended up what if instead of him being integrated into that family a part of that family loved by that family and loving that family what if A few months later, they'd gone back into the room and they'd seen the room was clean and the bed was made, but Michael was nowhere to be found. What if they had gone out to the back and they had seen, instead of him living in the house... Seemed that he had found an old tarp and he was camped out in their backyard what if he instead of going to their table every day was foraging for food and and what if instead of his tuition being paid and and, his, uh, and all of his abilities being used what if he had just been camping out there and they'd gone to him and they'd said michael what's going on i thought you were part of our family He says oh i'm a part of the family that's i've got what i need and the rest doesn't really matter to me you'd say wow it wouldn't make a very good movie wouldn't be exactly what we think about. And you'd say, what a, what a tragedy that would be that someone would live like that. I've got news for you. That's what most Christians do. God has said, I love you. I want to make you a part of the family. I'm going to adopt you. In fact, you're my birth child. I'm going to put my spiritual DNA in you. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you new clothes. I'm going to give you a table that you can come and feast at all the time. And what do most Christians say? I just wanted to be part of the family. I don't really need the rest of it. I'm just going to camp out for a while in the back. What a tragedy that is! And that's exactly what happens. 2 Peter 1.4 even says that we participate in the divine nature. We have God's DNA in us. And nothing changes. How much information is there in DNA? In every cell in your body, there's enough information in the DNA to fill up a world book encyclopedia. I don't know that they even sell them anymore, but you know how much information that is on the computer. I mean, that's a phenomenal amount of information in every cell in your body. That DNA information is there. And and the Lord says, I've put a spiritual DNA. It's called the Holy Spirit in you. And I want you to to have my mark of who I am in your life. And we don't get it. Time after time after time in the Bible, this, this whole concept is repeated and we kind of gloss over it. Like Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Look what it says. Galatians 4, 6 and 7. It's right up here. See, it's right on that screen right there not there we don't have that okay galatians 4 6 and 7 says because you are sons god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out abba father so you're no longer a slave but a son and since you are a son god has made you an heir did you did you get that did you understand that? Because you're sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's God the Spirit. Sometimes it's Christ's Spirit. It's all one and the same. Part of the Trinity resides in us because we are sons and the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. What does that mean? You're no longer a slave. That's a reference to in Galatians. He's talking to these people and says, you guys are trying to work for, for your salvation. You think you're a slave to the rules. It's not about rules. It's about grace. It's not about rules. It's about love. It's not about rules. It's about being part of the family. Now live as a part of the family. Here's where we're going with this. The spiritual DNA we inherit from our father is exactly what we need to be the children he called us and created us to be. The spiritual DNA that God gives us is exactly what we need to be exactly who he created us to be. What does that mean? Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. And here's the outline. It says, what does our Father do? If you're following along, there's an outline in the bulletin. You can pull that out. What does our Father do for us? Well, we've been singing about that all morning long. It says that He loved us. He bore, our play, uh, he bore our sins at Calvary. He went to the cross and died in my place. He died for you. He died for me. What has our Father done for us? He's given us grace. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us mercy. He's forgiven us for everything wrong we've ever done. Not only has He forgiven it, but He's paid for it. And all of that is part of what He does. But the Holy Spirit gives us some very specific things that God does. Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 27 is an incredible chapter i have taught on this chapter all of my life and every time i read through it i find new things there that i've missed romans chapter eight verses 12 through 17 i want to look at three things that the father does for us through the holy spirit verse 12 therefore brothers we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature can i change that just slightly not to the sinful dna you have that old dna It's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, that old DNA, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I want to stop there for just a second. Can I say, a lot of people think, well, the the Christian life is not a matter of life and death. According to this, it is. If you live by the old DNA, you're going to have an eternal separation from God. If you live by the new DNA... If you are part of the family, then it is a matter of eternal life. Look at verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship or adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Remember in Galatians 4 it says the Spirit cries. Here it says we cry. What does that mean? Abba, Father. That's not a terminology that we use. It's the Aramaic word. It's the, it's the word for daddy. It's the word for papa. It's the word for... It's the, it's the most intimate term a child can have for his parent. I don't know what that is for you. But, but the Lord says, because we're in the family, there are times that we come to Him and we say, Dad, Father, Papa, Father. The Spirit, verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We have a problem, because anytime we see the word inherit, we think of money, right? We think of wills. Oh, he's going to inherit something. I inherited many things from my father, a propensity toward diabetes. Uh, from my mother, I inherited the propensity to not have hair on the top of my head. She had it, but none of the rest of her family did. I inherited from my family the the brown eyes, the different genetic traits that we have. My family was a big family. I inherited big bones. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I inherited from my family, even though I'm the runt of the family, uh, the ability to grow to six feet tall. It's not something that just because I was talented I could do. I inherited it. And we know all that physically, but when we see... The word in the Bible, we immediately think, oh yeah, well we're going to inherit a lot when we get to that point. The Lord says, yeah, you are, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is inheriting who God is. That we may share in His glory. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. It says we're living in a world that's decaying. Is that true? Have you noticed that? I got to spend hours yesterday just vacuuming spider webs off of our house and off of our trees. And you know what? I've done it once, I'll never have to do it again. Today, maybe. We're we're in a world of decay, and there are those things, there are those bugs, there are those things that that are causing our life misery sometimes. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait, or as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that has seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And here's the payoff. Look at verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. What does our Father do for His children? What does our Father do for us as as His children? Number one, in desperate time, the Spirit whispers assurance. In desperate times, there's gonna be, be a time in your life when you're desperate and you say, Well, not me, Pastor. I've never never had a desperate time in my life. Just wait. I'm not trying I'm not doom and gloom, I'm just a realist. If you've not had a desperate time in your life, there will come a time when your life becomes desperate. You will need the Lord. And one of the great ministries of the Holy Spirit, did you notice it says that, that He gives witness to us? He He speaks to us that we are God's children. One of the greatest ministries of the Holy Spirit is attesting to or confirming that, God, that what God promised is real. It's there. Satan loves for us to believe that God dropped us into this world, he created the world, or Satan doesn't want us even to believe that, but at the very most, he wants us to believe that God dropped us into this world, and he cared about us enough to get us a kickstart, and then after that, he just pretty much wound up the universe and said, go after it, and I'll get to you in the end. That's not what the Bible says, that God is intimately involved in the day-to-day, if you believe that God just dropped us here and he doesn't answer prayer and he's not intimately involved in a day-to-day part of your life, you're called a theist. That means you believe there's a God, he just doesn't do much for you. And it's great to believe, to believe that there's a God, but the God that is presented in the Bible is not a God who's just out there, who's uncaring, who doesn't touch our lives. Especially when suffering and trials come There's an an evil seductive voice that says, if God really cared, if God was good. If, if, if. And that that voice seems to drown out what we hear in the Bible. Uh, Randy Alcorn has written a new book called, If God is Good. Randy Alcorn has done some incredible writing on heaven and, and all and this is tackling the question, if God is good, why do babies suffer? Why do we have the, the different things, the, the horrible forces of nature sometimes that, that cause such destruction? If God is good. And one of the things that Randy Alcorn says is that's the number one complaint that people who do not believe in God, who don't believe that God is, is intimately involved on a day-to-day basis, that's their number one objection. I don't want to believe in a God who would allow these things to happen, he says. But here's my answer, at least one of them. God has all power, and he has all knowledge, and he could do everything that you want him to do. But God does not, he does not rely on persuasion, Uh, excuse me, on force. He relies on persuasion. He does not rely on force. If God did everything immediately when you wanted Him to do it, it would be just that He just zaps everything, and it's by force. He forces you to believe. He wants you to believe because you're persuaded to believe. Hmm. And what the Bible says is, if we live by our own devices, if we live by that sinful DNA, by that old nature, we'll continue to flail helplessly. But if we learn the other thing, that God has given us this this spiritual DNA there's only one possible end and its success it's eternal life it's being part of the family why don't we listen why don't we listen if it's just a whisper if, if in desperate times the spirit whispers why don't we just listen to the spirit we don't do that what happens to us why don't we listen I think we're just like Elijah you remember the story of Elijah Elijah comes up against the forces of Baal. That was a false god. That was an idol in the Old Testament. And Elijah's there. He's been hiding out for three years, and finally he comes to Ahab and Jezebel, and he says, I'm going to, uh, I, the Lord sent me to you, and I'm going to meet with you. And 450 prophets of Baal come and meet him on the mountain. And Now the odds are 1 to 450. Not very good odds for Elijah. And he stands up there for, for all morning and all afternoon. They're praying and cutting themselves, trying to get some smoke that will be that will that will come up and be kindled under this uh this sacrifice and elijah says are you done is that enough and finally at the end of the day they're exhausted and they've done everything they can think of elijah says pour 12 barrels of water and and he rebuilds the altar and pours 12 barrels of water over it and he puts a sacrifice and he puts a moat around it and fills it with water and he prays for 19 seconds and the fire of heaven falls that's pretty powerful and Elijah's thinking, now that's the kind of God I want to serve. And that's us. Well, If God would do that, if I could get my 12 barrels out, then everything would be cool. And what does Jezebel say? 24 hours from now, you'll be dead. You kill, and he has 450 prophets put to death. And Jezebel says, by the end of the next day, you'll be dead. 24 hours from now, you'll be dead. And Elijah goes into a tailspin. Why? Because he forgot to listen to the whisper of God. And do you remember he goes and he prays, Lord, just kill me. In Texas, we'd say, kill me dead. I never could understand that phrase. Is there another kind of kill? <laughs> kill me half dead? But in Texas, kill me dead. Just kill me dead, Dad, uh, Father. That's what I want. And the Lord says, no, Elijah. And he gives him food, gives him rest, and then he comes to him. And you remember there are several things. He says, first of all, he comes in a fire. Uh, excuse me, first of all, he comes in the wind. It comes in the wind, this big huge wind that tears rocks out of the side of the mountain, and God's not in the wind. And and look at what it says in First Kings uh, nineteen twelve. It says, After the, the wind there was an earthquake, and and God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God's whispering to us today. Francis Chan says, We need to turn down the volume, our life is too loud. Is that true? Are you too busy to listen to the whisper of God? Last Christmas we were with our family. We had about 12 of us together living in this house and we were having a great time uh, spending time with our kids. And I looked up one day and, and our son Jonathan, he, was, he had his uh, iPhone out and he was texting someone back and forth. He also had a laptop sitting on his lap. He was writing a song while he was texting back and forth and writing with the laptop. And then uh, his daughter... Ashley said to him, Dad, it's your turn. We were playing Wii Golf. He was texting and he was uh, using his laptop, writing a song while he was doing, are we too busy? Is our life too loud? We need to hear the whisper. One of my favorite stories of all time was written by a young woman by the name of Mary Ann Bird. She wrote a memoir. It's called The Whisper Test. She was born with multiple birth defect she had a she was deaf in one ear she had a cleft palate she had a disfigured face a a crooked nose lopsided feet as a child Marianne suffered not only from those physical impairments but also the emotional damage that that was instilled inflicted by other children oh Marianne her classmates would say what happened to your lip I cut it on a piece of glass she would lie One of her worst experiences at school, she reported, was the annual hearing test. The teacher would call each child up to her desk and the child would cover first one ear and then the other and the teacher would whisper something to the child like, the sky is blue or you have new shoes. This was the whisper test. If the teacher's phrase was heard and repeated, the child passed the test. She was humiliated because she was deaf in one ear. To avoid the humiliation of failure, Marianne would always cheat on the test, secretly cupping her hand over her one good ear so she could still hear what the, child, what, what the teacher said. One year, Marianne was in the class of Miss Leonard. You may know this story. She was one of the most popular teachers at the school. And every student, including Marianne, wanted to be Miss Leonard's pet. They wanted to be loved by Miss Leonard because she was such a, a neat woman. They wanted to be noticed by her. Then one day came the day of the dreaded hearing test. And when her turn came, Marianne was called to the teacher's desk. And Marianne cupped her hand over her good ear. And Miss Leonard leaned forward to whisper, I waited for those words, Marianne wrote, that God must have put in her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life forever. Miss Leonard did not say to Marianne, the sky is blue or you have new shoes. Miss Leonard whispered to Marianne, I wish... You were my little girl. Changed her forever. And if you're listening, God is whispering today, I wish you were my child. In fact, He's whispering, you are my child if you just accept the grace that I've already given to you. He's whispering to us, I love you and I I want you to grow and to mature and to be the person that I called you to be. He's whispering to us through His Holy Spirit in those desperate times. Number two, in disastrous times, the Spirit imparts courage. Look at verse 17 for a second. It says, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. God has a purpose. And in those disastrous times, when you need courage, the Holy Spirit not only will whisper that, yes, you are the child, He will also impart courage to you. When things fall apart, when we think God has lost control, I love that passage where it says, to liberate us from the bondage of decay. Paul's writing in Acts. For 14 days they've been on the seas. Paul says to them, listen, this is not the time to go out on the Mediterranean Sea. There was a time when they, they had what they call nor'easters that came up, uh, upon them. And if you were trying to go from the east to the west, you couldn't get there. And many, many ships went down in the Mediterranean Sea. Paul knew that and he says, listen, this is not the time to go. And they went anyway. And what happened? For 14 days they were in hurricane uh, force winds from this nor'easter. There were 276 on this ship. And after 14 days they couldn't eat, they were sick, they had thrown all the cargo over, they had wrapped ropes, ropes underneath the boat, they didn't know what else to do. And, and after 14 days, this is what happened, Acts 27, 22. He stands up, he says, so keep up your courage, men. for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Where did Paul get that courage? 14 days in a boat that's falling apart, they've got to wrap it with ropes underneath the hull to try to make the thing work, and they can 't figure out what to do, he had every reason to be terrified, but instead he had the courage the Holy Spirit gave him. How are we to wait with eager expectation, just like it says in verse nineteen with ease, eager expectation we 're to wait it 's the picture of a girl who 's so excited about what's going to happen. It's the picture of, of what I've seen sometimes. Uh, I, I've, I've participated in a lot of weddings as, as the pastor to marry a lot of different couples. And my favorite picture of all time, there was a photographer one time who got behind the platform and he caught the, the, the picture of the groom's face looking at the bride. And just as the doors opened, there's this look of joy and anticipation on the groom's face. And this eager expectation on the bride's face. And it was just, I mean, there was like this connection, laser connection between the two of them. And he got the picture just at the right moment. Is that the way we look when the Lord says, You're my bride, and I love you, and I'm waiting to be with you? God can use even the most disastrous times. You're in Romans chapter 8, look at verse 28. It says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. It's been pointed out that everyone who starts the process finishes the process. God doesn't lose anybody. In disastrous times, the Spirit imparts courage. In painful times, the Spirit ministers grace. In painful times, the Spirit ministers grace. You know, we have times when we need the whisper. We have times when we need the courage. But there's also times we just need grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited or undeserved favor. It's something you did not earn. It's something good that God does when you don't deserve it. And in those moments, how does He minister grace to us well we think the way that we that he does it is he teaches us to say abba father and and then he gives us all the directions one of the songs that we were singing today it says uh, morning by morning new mercies i see another of the songs talks about day by day we see god leading and step by step we see him leading we want the whole map we live in a world where we struggle if we don't see the whole plan we have the GPS. How many of you have a GPS? Raise your hand if you have a GPS. How many of you have a wife that functions as a GPS? No, don't, don't do that. You're, you're in trouble. You no, know, turn here. Turn. No, no, turn here. Uh, recalculating. Recalculating. We, we live in a GPS world, and at the same time, we want the MapQuest everything. I had somebody who said, uh, well, I mapquested quested it and I had my GPS. I said, if you have the GPS, why did you need the map quest? Oh, I wanted to know the whole route. I didn't want to just know the next turn. You see, that's the way we are with God. God, I don't want just the next turn. I want the whole route. I want the whole map. And the Lord ministers grace step by step. The problem is, if you'll notice, it says here that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. In the Greek, the four is not there. In the Greek, that's not what it says. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray. We don't have any idea what the words should be. We don't know the topic and we don't know how to say it. We don't know anything about it. And the Holy Spirit comes and, and works in our hearts and in our lives and He wants to teach us, He wants to encourage us, He wants to, to instill in us what we need. And, he, and it's with groans that we can't even understand, we can't even utter. It's a content." But it's also the topic. You see, we need we think we need to pray for healing. We think we need to pray sometimes for a new car or, or a better job or, or any job. Or we think we need to pray for you fill in the blank, you know, to, to fix something in your family, or we think we need to pray for these things. And the Lord says, You don't even know the topic. We think we need to pray for a new Congress or a new president. And what we need to pray is for the Father. Hey, listen. Do you get this? Do you understand this? We think that what we need is some change in our society and what we need is a change in the way we look at our Savior. And until we get that, we're not ever going to be where we need to be as a nation. It's not about an election that's coming up. It's about an election to look at Jesus Christ and say, you're in control. And we don't get that. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In painful times the spirit ministers, but it's when we're in pain. When did he say that to Paul? It says, I had a thorn in the flesh. You know what that was? I have no idea. If you know, you know more than I do. Because it never tells us. He, just, he says, I prayed three times. Lord, take this away. There's all kinds of commentators that will tell you what they think it is. Here's what I know for sure. It's something Paul didn't like. It's something that made Paul weak. And he said, in my weakness, you made me strong. My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord said. My power is made perfect in weakness. He said, Paul, you don't need to be healed. You need me. Powerful words. What does our Father do for his children? That's what you see in Romans 8. I want you to go to 1 John 3. We have just a few minutes 1 John chapter 3. I want you to look and see what what the response is. Because what does our Father ask of His children? Two things. Very simple. Very simple and yet very deep. 1 John chapter 3. I love this. It says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I like the NIV in a lot of places, but sometimes they take out words they should leave in. One of them is, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed. That's what it says in the King James and there's, there's something good about that word behold we don't use the behold word very much and so they said how great but it all say hey look 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 don't miss this how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of god and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him dear friends now we are children of god w- when are we children of god What does it say? Say it again. Dear dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What does the father ask of his children? Two things. First of all, he lavishes his love on us, and he asks us to love him back. Love like a child can. Love like a child can. It's a love that's lavished on us and that we're supposed to lavish back on him. I love, there's, there's two commercials out right now that I love. Uh, The only thing I don't like about DVRs and TiVos and all of that is sometimes you miss the good stuff, which is the commercials, the shows, not so much. But I love some of the commercials. There's a, there's a commercial where a kid is making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It is a George Knight kind of peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He takes that, that, that jiff or skippy or whatever i don't even know who he's, who's advertising he takes it and he puts half of the jar of peanut butter on one piece of bread and then he smashes it down so peanut butter's just oozing around the side it makes me hungry i go get my peanut butter every time i see that commercial love that commercial he lavishes it the other commercial is of another little kid he's getting breakfast in the morning by himself and he's pouring milk And there's this picture with milk all over the floor, running down off the table, and he's pouring the milk. He's used probably half a gallon of milk, and he can get it everywhere but in the bowl, and it's just running, and you think, oh man, this is going to be a sticky, horrible mess. And you see him doing that, and then a few minutes later, a few seconds later, you see him put it on a tray, and what does he do? He's taking the tray to his mother. He's lavishing the milk, not on himself, but he's trying to make his mother, who's still in bed, trying to make her breakfast. And the Lord says, I've lavished love on you. Will you lavish it back on me? Just like a child. Children seem to have a pure love. It's not tainted with all the fine print that we have in a lot of our relationships. There's a a book out, one of my favorites, Letters to God. And there's Letters to God, too. Can I just read you a couple of quick letters to God from children? These are children uh, that I believe are in the first and second grade. Dear God, is it true my father won't get in heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? That's Anita. Anita. Dear God, did you mean for the draft to look like that or was it an accident? That was Norma. Dear God, who draws the lines around the countries? Never thought of that one. Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Neil. Here's one from Elliot. Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying and it makes me feel awfully good. Nora wrote, Dear God... I don't ever feel alone since I found out about you. I did a little research. Nora, this girl that wrote that, has been in foster care since she was a year old. Dear God, I don't ever feel alone since I found out about you. Can we love like children? Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Look what it says. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I have to stop there because I've had commentaries that that I read that and says, no, he made a mistake because there's only three dimensions. It should be how How wide and long and high should be the deep. And I say no. He realizes there's there's another dimension that we don't recognize. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Love like a child can. And number two is grow like a child should. Grow like a child should. The hope here is the anticipation that what is promised will happen. It says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. It's not a, well, I hope, I, you know, I hope the Cowboys have a good season. I hope the 49ers play football this year. I, you know, I hope this, that, I hope that. It's not that kind of hope. It's not that kind of hope. It's a hope that you know that God has promised it and it will happen. You know, there's nothing sadder to me than a diagnosis of a child, failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. I don't know if you've ever been around any children, uh, any, any child who's had that. You go to the doctor, and the, the, the child can't maintain his weight. Uh, all of the tests come back, and they're not good. And and I had that when my cousin's uh, son was diagnosed with leukemia. And I and I've seen that in other times. Failure to thrive. Kathy worked for a while at a company in or a place in Amarillo. That what they did is they did daycare, or they did care for uh, children who never thrived. They never matured. And you had 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds still in diapers and still having to drink bottles. I mean, it was tragic. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, I would love to give you some meat. I'd love to speak to you as one who is mature, but you're, you're mere infants. You're mere infants. Grow like a child should. And 2 Peter 3.18 says it this way, but grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Grow like that. Grow like a child should. What does that look like? A couple things come to mind. Gary and and Verna had uh, kids here with uh, granddaughter, granddaughter Ella? Eleanor. And he was telling me a story. They are getting ready to go, and Eleanor uh, says back to him... uh, The dad came, Gary's son came and said, it's time to go, we're going to have to go. And she says, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here forever. And Gary's going, sounds good to me. That'll that'll work. I remember when we, uh, when Ashley, our, our granddaughter, she's now, she's going to be 13. Uh, I remember when she was little, we would go to the airport, and one time she'd gone through the whole security check, and it was back when you could uh, watch a little further, and, and uh, as she was going to the gate, we she caught a glimpse of us, and we were in tears. We didn't want to see our granddaughter go from us. We didn't know. It was maybe once a year we would get to see them, and we were heartbroken. And all of a sudden, the whole airport terminal Just went silent because you could hear this sobbing, this wailing. Papa, Mimi, no, no. Man, stab me. Oh, break my heart. And the Lord says, Do you love me? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Do you love me? I think the other thing that just absolutely leapt into my mind this week is the 10 who were killed this week. Did you read about the 10 who were in Afghanistan? They were bringing medical help. What a tragedy. I, I don't know if you know who these 10 people are. It's, it's a mission to bring aid. It's a mission to bring uh, medical help to Afghan. The New York Times The New York Times said this, their dedication was perhaps most evident in what they gave up to carry out their mission. Dr. Thomas Graham, 51, left a thriving dental practice a couple of years ago. Dr. Karen Wu, 36, walked away from a surgeon's salary to work in in horrible uh, circumstances. Dr. Tom Little, an optometrist who spent 35 years ministering in Afghanistan, raising his three children there. Cheryl Beckett, 32, she wrote to her dad, she said, "Dad." He said, come home, Cheryl, it's too dangerous. She wrote back and said, I'm just trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Glenn Lapp, 40 years old, a nurse who wrote home and said, please pray for me. Every day my life is on the line, but I'm just trying to be a little bit of Christ in this part of the world. These people didn't go out trying to win people to Jesus Christ necessarily. They just tried to, to give them some relief. They weren't trying to proselytize. They were not going out and starting churches underground. That's not what they were doing. They were showing the love of Christ. They were growing as a child should. They saw a need. They had the ability to meet the need. And Hebrews 11.38 says, The world was not worthy of them. What does the Father ask of his children? Love me. Love others. Grow like a child should. Do what I've called you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. The Father has given us new life. If you accept by faith, Ephesians 2.8.9 says, the Bible says it, not me, it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's, it's because it's an undeserved favor that you did not deserve. It's by faith, by believing, by trusting in what Jesus Christ did that you find new life. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourself so that you can't ever boast and say, it's something I earned. I worked for. He's given us new life. He's given us new hope. He's given us new love. He's lavished all these things on us. And all he asks is, will you love me? Will you grow as I've called you to grow? Father, you know each heart of each person that's here today. We've sung the songs. We've given our offering. We've done our time. And your heart must be broken if that's all it is. Because what you want from us is so much more than going through motions. And the truth is, Father, some of us have said and we really haven't listened again. And you're trying to get your message through these feeble lips of mine, Father, to tell them what you want them to hear, not what I need to tell them. God, forgive us. God, heal us. Father, may we love you and serve you And grow in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.